So the babysitter was another McGee movie. I'm pretty oh, oh, sure. I'm, I'm shocked by this. Of course, was I'm it, up to date on McGee's oeuvre. So wasn't it? Ba- was it ba- the babysitter or just babysitter? Uh, according to the Google, <laughs> according to the Google, the Google, it is the babysitter. Okay, and it's like it's it's meant to be a horror movie, kind of. It's weird, Wait, like a like a the ex from hell kind of thriller, or like who's the who's the horror villain? The babysitter herself, or yeah, the babysitter herself. Okay, so I, the, I the should whole... have said himself too to be inclusive. <laughs> no, 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 no. Because again, the whole conceit is the fact that she's like a bombshell, ten out of ten, uh-huh. and you know the little prepubescent boy is like, oh, I've got a crush on the babysitter, but she turns out to be some kind of serial killer of some kind. All right. So it's again the only reason I bring it up is because the new trailer just dropped. <laughs> Listen to me and my lingo, <laughs> just. <laughs> dropped for his latest movie which is rim of the world which terrible title but whatever. I, yeah i've seen rim around the world <laughs> it's parts four five and nine but i've seen plenty of films with rimming let me tell you I, yeah. <laughs> the movie starts off, or the trailer starts off with one tone and then has a completely different tone by the end of it and it seems like the same like he's just doing the babysitter again except this time with okay. aliens and again really trying to ape off stranger things like teenage boy trajectory it seems like he's going for really that's not like mcgee at all i I know right if you look at charlie's angels that was all about female empowerment the director of we are marshall you think he's (laughs) slumming it please with children's movies no is it do you think it's designed for children first of all stranger things is not designed for children it's designed for (laughs) i'd say middle-aged weirdos uh, the fact that children actually like it is a little people encroaching to me. forty. Yeah, with people. Beards. Yeah, the uh, latter half baby boomers. I'm just gonna call everybody baby boomers if they're mm-hmm. stuck in a nostalgia cycle. Yeah. Well, it's funny because it's like I know I realize it's the same thing. I finally started watching uh, the Venture Brothers because I never understood the appeal of that show, and I started watching it, and now I kind of get it. It's it's I don't enjoy it. It's not good. <laughs> it's not a good show. And yet, but you, I get you it. Continue to because watch it. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to at least try to finish out the first season. I'm only okay. like four episodes in. All right. And so obviously the first season is terrible. As all TV shows, the first season is pretty terrible. No, 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 no. Do not, do not, <laughs> do not comport to TV shows. I will accept a pilot. Pilots can be terrible, but let's not be so forgiving now that like, oh, just oh. sit through one whole season <laughs> and then it gets good. Okay. But yes, now, like watching it now, I understand the conceit of the TV show when it came out in 2004. Having a TV show on the air that spoofed literally every Marvel property or everything you ever watched from the 60s and 70s. Like, again, it's tailor-made, perfectly designed for 40-year-old neckbeards who were like, oh, I remember Justice <laughs> Friends. I remember Johnny Quest. This is hilarious. And it's not that funny, but it's like, I get it. Like, it probably hint like hits their nostalgia factor just so perfectly and it probably felt more vital when that show came out because again it came out in 2004 yeah that we had a whole fucking cinematic universe just blowing up the world yeah like to have you know something making references to marvel comics it was like oh this is a real deep cut guys this is like a real deep cut can't wait to talk about this at the con is it is it animated like spider-man circa 1967 or no, it's like it's honestly like Newgrounds flash animation quality, especially okay. these early Ooh. episodes. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty rough. All right. Uh, it does have some nice kind of like uh painterly backgrounds to kind of invoke the 60s era um ephemera of the time, I suppose, but yeah, the animation's pretty bad. Okay. 
I'm going to stick it out for the first season. I'm going to stick it out for the first season and see what happens. Maybe, why? maybe. I don't know, because, again, I'm, I'm, I, I have not enough to do with, with my time. Exactly. <laughs> All right, you need to plan another wedding. You should just go into wedding planning. <laughs> no, you know what it actually Didn't is? did you I feel alive when you were wed- planning a wedding, John? <laughs> no, I felt miserable. I'm <laughs> okay. you. No, I felt like you had your blood pumping. You were so stressed out. It was great. You were living on the edge, and I think you should continue to do that. No, never. Never again. Yes. When you're that, I'm not one when, of these people who looks, that's when you're that's when you're most alive when you're no that close I do to not death. thrive on being stressed no sir no no how that's why that's why we do this podcast Greg it's a nice leisurely activity ah that's yes so simple easy listening from you your friends at the aspiring snobs yes so you claim mm. however uh, now if I could bring the mood down oh this episode is going to be a little bit heavier because we are honoring the the memory of the late John Singleton. Uh, Hollywood veteran, and we're going to look at his directorial debut, his creed occur, as it were. Mm-hmm. And that movie is, of course, his 1991 debut, Boys in the Hood. Woke up quick at about noon, just thought that I had to be in Compton soon. I gotta get drunk before the day begins, before my mother starts bitching about my friends. About to go and damn near went blind, young niggas at the pad throwing up gang signs. Ran in the house and grabbed my clip. With the Mac 10 on the side of my hip, bailed outside and pointed my weapon. Just as I thought, the fools kept stepping. Jumped in the foe, hit the juice on my ride. I got front and back and side to side. Then I let the Alpine play. play. Bumping new shit by NWA. It was gangster, gangster at the top of the list. Then I played my old shit, it went something like this Cruising down the street in my six fall. I do have to mention, though, that we are probably the most qualified people to be talking about this movie. <laughs> it seems only fair yeah, that ob- ob- two obviously. white guys from the northern suburbs of Boston yeah. talk about a movie trying to capture life in South Central if you, if Los you've Angeles. Read, if you've read the first four volumes of my John Singleton biography, you'd know <laughs> that you and I are completionists. And... Yeah, it's, it's, it's a pity, but also it's, it's kind of apt that, sadly, we tend not to catch up on these on these works until the director the writer eventually dies so mm-hmm. um on the one hand i do feel guilty about that i added to just a big helping of white guilt as well so there's <laughs> also that <laughs> well i want to i want to bring that up because well let's first get into john singleton sadly mm-hmm. he passed away a few weeks ago now from a stroke at the age of 51 again way too early hugely tragic and he had, and he basically staked his reputation on first having this huge debut. His road was first paved by Spike Lee and the success of Do the Right Thing. He was given this opportunity and he made the most of it. He directed a hit that also got got him nominated. Youngest, first African American to be nominated for Best Director and the youngest at the age of 24. Mm-hmm. I was still eating my boogers at age 24, so... <laughs> All credit to him. Uh, in the years since, he directed a few other um, kind of dramas throughout the 90s, but then became like a Hollywood veteran. Uh, Too Fast, Too Furious was one of his movies. Did a couple, did TV shows like uh, American Crime Story, The People vs. O.J. Simpson. Did mm-hmm. an episode of that. So he, he had this kind of reputation as a Hollywood veteran after that. Um, but this is what I think people really, when they think of John Singleton, I think they really think of Boys in the Hood, mm-hmm. a movie that you and I had never seen before. Yes, and it, I mean, I think also part of the reason why it's his most remembered film is it does feel the most autobiographical. 
Um, yes. Because it's, it's a movie that, you know, takes place in South Central Los Angeles and takes place over years, kind of. There's a big time jump in the middle of it, but it does try to capture kind of an intergenerational story. Or, I mean, I don't know if the movie had its kind of grand sights like that, but it ultimately feels like that's where the story ends up. Yeah, I think it was trying to tell maybe like two different eras that came first to John Singleton's life because he came out of film school and, and was given this huge opportunity to direct a, a Hollywood movie. And so, yeah, I, I believe he based on his, on his experiences growing up in Los Angeles. Um, it starts when Los Angeles was at the was basically the capital of the world, 1984, the host of the Olympics <laughs> and, and kind of the cultural center of the of the universe at that point. And so we follow three different boys. Uh, there's Trey, who was taken out of his kind of South Los Angeles neighborhood and brought into this uh, this different one that I believe is around Inglewood. Uh, they don't really specify, but I believe that's where the story the rest of the story takes place. Mm-hmm. Um, and his two friends, they are Doughboy who's later played by Ice, Ice Cube, mm-hmm. and Ricky. Mm-hmm. And so first we kind of track, for the first 30 minutes or so, we kind of track these boys, you know, uh, just hanging out in 1984. There's a there's a bit of an act break. It feels sort of like a play in that way. There's a big kind of inciting act that launches us the, into 1991, seven years later. Mm-hmm. And it's important to note that um, Ricky and Doughboy are actually brothers, and they kind of have a strong kind of double act going. They're they're technically half brothers, and mm-hmm. it's it's interesting to kind of watch their progression as the film kind of goes on. Ricky eventually aspires to you know go to college. He's going to get there probably on a football scholarship, but you know he has aspirations and ambitions to get out of the neighborhood and kind of make something out of himself, as opposed to Doughboy who <laughs> enjoys sitting on the porch and drinking forties all day. Yeah, well he he runs afoul of the law at one point and. Mm-hmm. As that's kind of his career track, and I do want to give the movie credit because these these characters don't feel stereotypical. Mm. I know maybe maybe if we describe like oh an inner city kid he's not great at school but he has this great opportunity to earn a scholarship as an athlete mm-hmm. that may feel like cliche yet the the texture of the movie it feels very an individualized story it it feels unique in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, same with Trey and his parents' relationship. His parents aren't married uh, but they do have this accommodation where they'll they'll allow Trey's father, whose name is Furious, he's played by Lawrence Fishburne, to raise him uh, while she's in graduate school. Mm-hmm. So that that also feels like a like a, a good individual touch rather than something like archetypical. I, I'm kind of sick of movies that are trying to graft stories like, like Oedipus or Heart of Darkness <laughs> or something to <laughs> kind of a contemporary setting because it feels like impersonal and like you're trying to graft a, the the weight and importance of this great literary work onto a contemporary story, and instead it feels much more autobiographical and much more uh, unique in that way. Well, again, and also I think he does with Trey in particular. He does kind of avoid those pitfalls. He doesn't mm-hmm. make it, even though the setting in and of itself is sadly kind of it. It feels very typical of the African American experience. His parents clearly aren't stereotypical depiction. Uh, the mom is working, hence why she can't really raise him. She kind of shoves him off to the uh, father because uh, she wants to finish school. She can't handle his kind of outbursts and his, you know, uh, behavioral problems at school. And the yeah. father, played by Lawrence Fishburne, is trying to raise an upstanding young man. And he's uh, obviously financially pretty successful. I think he is an accountant by trade. He's like a CPA, correct? Not, yeah, maybe not a CPA, but like running a mortgage firm or something. And he's not a disciplinarian, but he does instill some 
commitment to work that maybe the other boys in the neighborhood don't have. Mm-hmm. Like literally, like literally, when his mom drops him off, he he orders him to start raking leaves, mm-hmm. and also like imparts these little lessons about gentrification and things like that. And so that's the other thing I want to get into is kind of the socio political message of the movie, such as there is. Yeah, which I again I'm totally unqualified to talk about that. Yeah, but this is kind of I think the biggest sticking point of the movie which is it's laser focused on black on black crime specifically I, and yeah it's got this it gives me this kind of queasy bill cosby moralization quality to it at times which i don't know didn't really sit well with me yeah i it starts with an epigraph basically stating that i believe one in 20 black men will be murdered in their mm-hmm. lifetime in america again haunting statistics statistic it follows that up with most of it will be at the hands of another black man (laughs) Mm. and so i think i think it wants to say like okay we're gonna fight a war but we're gonna do it on our side we're gonna say we're gonna ask our uh the black people to kind of pick ourselves up by our bootstraps however this is and maybe we can lay it at the feet of a young john singleton who's only 24 years old at the time again i was still uh eating paste and <laughs> peeing my pants at that age i can't i can't imagine trying to write you know this big grand socio-political message but i think it's trying to identify maybe what's easiest and just say like hey neighborhood let's get together let's not kill each other mm-hmm. rather than say oh this city it's in 1991, Los Angeles is in the bigoted hands of police commissioner Daryl Gates. Um, <laughs> why can't people move out of their neighborhoods? Like, well, uh, because they keep getting denied for loans because of the color of their skin, which still exactly. happens today in 2019. Uh, you know. <laughs> also, another big sticking point is maybe like, well, why? Because uh, this is also at the height of the warfare between the Blood and the Crips. Like, well, why is that? And like, why is this war? It's not just personal animus. It's also because they're controlling territory and their whole economic livelihood is based on you know fear and intimidation it's not just it's not just these petty grudges so i think maybe a young john singleton couldn't really grasp that into a story especially if he's one telling this kind of small and personal between these three characters exactly and what's also very telling about the story is that there's no white characters whatsoever except for maybe one cop but he's not the cop who gets the most lines no 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 yeah (laughs) there's another cop in particular played by an Mm african-american and i think maybe the maybe the thought process was if this were played by a white man he would be a monster it would be completely unnuanced yeah whereas so they cast this cop in this role to basically be what you assume a stereotypical racist cop would be except he's also black and it's, yeah, it's so jarring and kind of bizarre. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know what exactly he was tracking because when you say racist, he does you utter the N word to other mm-hmm. black people that he's assailing, and even uh, admits like this is why yeah. he became a cop so he could like punish people. Like this is he gets off on this. He enjoys this. Yeah, and I don't know if that was maybe like a studio note because one of the I won't say influences, but one of the impetuses for making this movie was the 1988 film Colors, starring Sean Penn, about two <laughs> L.A. cops on the beat. And I, I won't say it tells like a sanitized story, but yeah, it's one in which like the cops are the heroes, even though at this time and maybe still today, the LAPD is still a white supremacist force, basically <laughs> asserting its will over the African-American community. Oh, not Mark Furman. He's such yeah. a nice guy. Exactly. He's just misunderstood. <laughs> um, 
He probably said those things in jest. Yeah, <laughs> clearly. <laughs> he's he's worried about uh, our cultural uh, civilization. There you go. That's there what he's worried go. about. Yeah, mm. that's what he's worried about when he caves a, a young black kid's head in. Oh, <laughs> oh. We got a call of a burglary here. Yeah, that was about an hour ago. Whoa. We didn't ask you that. Yeah, well, I told you. Besides, I don't like having my son out here in the cold. Just tell me what happened, sir. Well, somebody broke into the house. I fired at him with my piece, and he ran away. <laughs> so you didn't get him? Well, if I got him, he'd be laid out here in front of you, right? Is there anything missing? No. Good. No need to make out a report. You know, it's too bad you didn't get him. Be one less out here in the streets we have to worry about. Hey, little man. How you doing? Go on in the house, Trey. Go on. Something wrong? Something wrong? Yeah. It's just too bad you don't know what it is. brother anyway jokes aside <laughs> i i'm glad you brought that up because that's what i was trying to find the the drama is very loose mm-hmm. again it's just about the travails of uh trey trying to court a young brandy um mm-hmm. they're they're almost off to college but and he wants to he wants to uh lose his virginity obviously she's she's a little bit more religious committed wants to commit to school and wait until they're married yeah. uh Again, as you said, Ice Cube's character is just enjoying 40s on the porch. You know, not a lot going on in his life. Mm-hmm. And uh, Ricky, I think, is the probably least characterized uh, personage in this movie. He's he's a little aloof. Mm-hmm. He's he's not really committed to school. He is a, an extremely talented football player, but um, you only get like kind of glimpses that uh, yeah, how committed he is to football. Like he's more committed to watching the game than say taking care of his young uh, his girlfriend and their young child together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, and I think there is probably a very strong reason why he gets the least amount of uh, characterization is because we kind of well, I say we. I had a strong yeah. sense of where the story was going with his mm-hmm. character. Um, obviously, you know, he's a, he's a bright young talent. He, he actually has a chance to work his way out of this system, but we all know that the story's not going to end that way, is it? No. So the, the tone isn't ov- overly dramatic. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's also a pretty slight comedy. Some of the kind of, like, hijinks going on. Not really hijinks, but the way that other characters rib one another. Because they're still children. They're still children yeah, that's true. at the end of the day. They're still high schoolers, so, like... A lot of the common kind of set pieces is, you know, how much Trey lies about how he's not a virgin. Like, he concocts yeah. this crazy story to his dad that, you know, like, oh, yeah, I lost my virginity. Like, oh, it was crazy. I had to run out of the yeah. house. She was chasing me with, like, a, with a rolling pin or something like that, you know, that yeah. kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, the tone is, is much like Stand By Me, which was a big influence on this movie. Almost, almost the extent that there's a literal shot instead of four boys walking along the train tracks in Maine, it's them walking along the train tracks in, in Compton. So, mm-hmm. and of like again, it doesn't take them a whole movie to find a dead body. It's literally lying yeah. right there in a the field. And so, yeah, you're right. The the tone of it, it's kind of hues similarly to Stand by Me. Uh, but as you said, the it, this the story can only end one way, um, and mm-hmm. it's not happily. So they run afoul of this uh, this gang of bloods. Also a little strange. It's a, again played as like a petty grievance, not really like anything other than that. 
I mean, I guess that's kind of the point he's trying to make, though, is that what are these gangs killing each other for if not petty grievances? Yeah, well, I mean, there are possibilities in terms of, like, I, I guess if they're running guess. criminal enterprises. It's It doesn't go into detail like the way that Goodfellas does in terms of how <laughs> organized crime operates or these gangs operate. But, mm-hmm. yes, it's played as a petty grievance, and unfortunately... A, a young Ricky who's just taken his SAT, he's got his whole future ahead of him, unfortunately gets associated with this gang and gets gunned down. Mm-hmm. He gets caught in the crossfire. Yeah. In a very... Uh, I, did you feel this shot was a little overdone? The kind of, you know, they they get away for the briefest of moments and then they mm-hmm. they kind of sneak out into an alleyway and as they separate, that's when the car pulls up behind them. And you yes, which motion. by the way, Ricky, yeah, which by the way, maybe hold it when your life isn't in danger because uh. <laughs> he has to stop and pee. <laughs> which I, I understand, I thank you for your commitment to realism. You know, that's that's always a, a huge mark of quality. Like people ask, like, nobody stops to pee in these stories. <laughs> but <laughs> maybe, maybe save it for another time. <laughs> But did you feel like this shot was a little overdone? It's it's kind of it's it's a little overdone. It's dramatic. It's slow motion. It's Ricky. Yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe know. it doesn't comport with the realistic tone that we established earlier. But I was also looking at the other things like the crane shots and mm-hmm. a few other like kind of formalist techniques that John Singleton is employing. So I di- I didn't really mind it that much. And well, I yeah, just think again, it's... if you're it's kind of in if you're gonna do drama, I'm glad they didn't do it in a wide shot or something <laughs> okay. where they're off in the corner, like a like a Micah Hanukkah movie or something. <laughs> well, I just think it's in such sharp relief to the revenge that Ice Cube's character eventually gets when we see the execution that he eventually commits in retaliation. It's it's done um, like completely silently. There's no music, very static, very kind of of the moment. And I just think that was a much more powerful scene, even though, you know, he's killing people who kind of deserve it, you know, or at least he's, it's much more of a righteous kill than, say, Ricky's. Well, righteous, but also morally conflicted, because the the guy's bleeding, and he's pleading for his life at this point, but mm. um, Ice Cube's character still shoots him execution style. I think that's actually maybe to the film's credit, in that one is played up, like, as you said, very histrionically and with slow motion, like, no, and the other one, the one that comes later is mm-hmm. played for the dreaded realism that it is. Mm. So maybe that's to the movie's credit, basically showing them in sharp relief. I mean, I do admit though that the death of Ricky does have kind of one of the like one of my favorite like uh, completely realistic moments, which is they drag the kind of bloodied body home, and his mom is like, "What are you guys yelling about?" And then she kind of realizes the horror of what's actually happening. Yeah, I I, I wasn't sure about that moment because that character is so 
aloof and dismissive. I mean, it's played as if she's a, a drug addict or this kind of well, not the, the most drug-addled mom in the movie. Yeah, <laughs> if we if we talk about stereotypes, there is one character in particular that kind of bothered me, and that's the crackhead mom who lives yeah, just she's a few their neighbor. doors down, and yeah. it's kind of the neighborhood's responsibility to make sure her kids don't wander into the street because yeah. she's so just gone that her you know the kids who somehow she still has you know custody over are just kind of like wandering onto the street of their own volition yeah and every word literally out of her mouth is you got any rocks you got any cracks (laughs) i'll suck your dick yeah it's a bit it's a bit much not the most nuanced portrait Um, yeah but here it's where kind of the story comes full circle again the story is a bit meandering it's not like a tight screenplay or anything mm-hmm. but the arcs that we're basically tracing is trey to kind of control his anger because mm-hmm. as we saw in when he's only 10 years old in class he does have a bit of a temper when it comes to his other classmates and when and when faced with the choice to avenge his friend ricky he's got to learn to kind of control that impulse mm-hmm. well it also brings a full circle with what his dad has been trying to teach him his whole life yeah, because as soon as Ricky's gone, the first thing Trey does is run home and steal his dad's gun, who we saw, you know, him use it earlier in the movie. You know, yeah. there's Chekhov's gun again. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so shiny and new. Um, <laughs> and again, his father very calmly kind of reminds him, like, "What did I teach you? What did I teach you about being a like?" Again, trying to impart that lesson to him is like, "Is this really going to solve the issue?" Like, try to be level-headed about this. And you're right; it does tie back into his anger. But I, I thought it was kind of a nice moment between him and his dad about, like, how can we make the future better for ourselves? Yeah. Um, There is a little addendum to that scene, because his dad does convince him, like, give up the gun. Mm -hmm. Slight bait and switch, he still goes off with Doughboy and his other two cohorts to enact revenge, Mm -hmm. but does, like, literally pull himself out of the car and says, you know, stop, I'm not going to do it. Yeah, still makes that choice, absence of his father's presence. So, yeah. So there's that... And then there's a, my what turned out to be my favorite scene in the movie after Doughboy does enact his revenge. Again, very chilling. He wanders over, and this was completely unexpected out of Ice Cube. I've, I haven't seen barely any of his movies, but I know he just kind of has this fun, tough guy persona. And then to actually see him impart this pathos when he's having this heart-to-heart with Trey, just basically saying, like, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, it was it was actually like shockingly vulnerable for a, a first time actor in this case somebody who was still like in NWA <laughs> and still had this like completely tough personality or at least this tough projection in the world for him to play like vulnerable in this moment I thought that that was the most that was the best part of the movie. Yo, cuz I I know why you got the call last night. Shouldn't have been there in the first place. You don't want that shit to come back to haunt you. Ain't been up this early in a long time. Turned on the TV this morning. Had this shit on about. About living in a violent, a violent world. Show to all these foreign places. Foreigners living on. Started thinking, man. Either they don't know, don't show, or don't care about what's going on in the hood. 
Well, Greg, I mean, you haven't seen Fight Night, so... <laughs> Is that what that movie's called? I was, I was, racking, my, I, I, I was you... racking my brain. What's that movie he did with Charlie Day? <laughs> oh, uh, Fist Fight. Fist Fight, that's the one. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was Fight Night. I thought you were going with Ride Along with Kevin Hart. <laughs> oh, of course, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't they make a sequel to that? Yes, they did. They made a Ride Along, too. Oh, that was gosh. A hu- Ride Along was a huge hit in, like, January. Really? Generally dumping ground, but I guess it was competing against anything, but... All right. Anyway, we're not variety reporters yet. We don't, we don't talk about Buffo box office, so I do recall once uh, this movie was on at a bar like a few years mm-hmm. ago, and I was like, huh, I don't remember Friday being this dark. This isn't a very comedic movie. Just watching it on Sean. a bar right, with mute. I, I was serious. I thought it was Friday for a second. I don't know. That, Ice Cube did got rid of the Jerry curls by Friday. By Friday, John. Okay, did. sorry, sorry. I yeah. did not know. All right. Yeah. Sorry, I'm not a historian I, of Ice Cube's hairstyles. <laughs> Come on, you don't need to be a historian to see the soul glow, John. I mean, <laughs> Just let your soul glow. Let, let it shine, shine through. Oh, classic, classic. Yes, but sorry, we're getting off track. <laughs> this, these are really the high points and what I think is a very good coming-of-age story. Uh, one of which that also launched like a whole coterie of like kind of inner city mm. dramas like menace to society and spoofs like uh don't be a menace um, to society <laughs> while you're sipping your uh gin and juice in the hood <laughs> yes but yeah like uh it's a clearly a very influential film and i can kind of see mm-hmm. why it's a uh, quite good and uh it's a shame that we hadn't uh had the excuse to revisit it until now yeah again uh rest in peace john singleton mm-hmm. again and i want to commend his other work like i think that episode he did in American Crime Story, The People vs. O.J. Simpson was the best in that little run. Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, he was clearly a capable director for all, all those years. And so, yeah, um, I think I think he will be missed. Yeah. No, obviously. I mean, yeah. Obviously by his family. I mean, also with the <laughs> culture at large. Obviously, that's what everybody dreams of. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they want, you know, to be Twitter trending uh, after you die. So, Did he ever get nominated again? Or uh, No, he did not. Um <laughs> That's when he moved in kind of a different phase of his career. Um, like, I, I remember doing, like, these kind of, I, I don't want to say schlocky productions, but, yeah, Too Fast, Too Furious. Um, Excuse the Taylor... me? You accuse <laughs> Too Fast and Too Furious of being schlock? How dare you? <laughs> well, there was that in the Taylor Lautner vehicle abduction. Um, oh, my god. Anybody gosh. remember abduction? Oh, my gosh. Remember Taylor Lautner? <laughs> I sure do. I'm team Jacob, although it was Jacob, right? <laughs> it was Jacob, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm looking at his credits right now. He also did Shaft. Oh, that's right. I forgot about Shaft. Which, weirdly, well, they're, they're doing a sequel now? Yeah, they're doing a, a sequel, and it's just an out-and-out comedy with three generations. They got Richard Roundtree back. Um, wow. They've, they've exhumed his corpse. and yeah. <laughs> Ouch. I, I know. I apologize. He, he just doesn't look ready, though. The guy must be in his mid-80s now. Let him let him retire in peace. <laughs> Greg, black don't crack. You know this. I just... I mean, it's just simple I'd... science. I'd... <laughs> I, I'm with Bill Burr on this one, because they know how to moisturize. That is, that is very <laughs> Which... true. <laughs> Which us whites have not gotten to. No, we have not figured that yeah. out yet. That's just so much work. I know. It's work, and, and my metabolism is already, is already dead, so what am I really preserving, huh? <laughs> uh, not a lot of marketing around this new Shaft movie. I'm kind of, I'm kind of surprised. Are they just dumping it? Uh, maybe. They do have at least one trailer out, but... Okay. Yeah, I, th- I think it is just a... a, a we need a Q2 uh, summer product <laughs> from Warner Brothers, sir. <laughs> okay. <laughs> 
<laughs> Bummer. Yeah. I mean, as long as Michael uh, Samuel Jackson's still getting work, <laughs> John, he doesn't need to worry about that. <laughs> Again, most successful commercial actor of all time. <laughs> I don't know. I I hope he I hope he can take a break or just retire in grace. Obviously, I don't think that's in his nature. I just think he's he just he just hustles all the time, and that's that why true. he's. He's in like still in like little independent movies like Unicorn Store or oh he was yeah, doing again. that for, as a favor for Brie Larson. A favor was it a favor or like did I they mean, have the same agent or something? He likes working with her clearly. Like they yeah. were, I don't I I think he probably had a good time on set for uh, marvelous Mrs. Captain Marvel. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, like yeah, I can I can see him being like you know her being like, look, I've got this little independent movie I'm trying to do. I need a bigger star attached to it. Do you mind? You get to play like a Willy Wonka type. I can totally see that conversation. Well, they happening. shot they shot Unicorn Store before they shot Captain Marvel. Oh, really? Yes. Huh. Unicorn Store actually debuted at the uh, Toronto Film Festival in 2017. Hmm. But I think they waited in position. By this time, she'd sign on to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and they were kind of positioning it. Obviously, it's a quirky independent film, so it wasn't going to have a huge market anyway, even mm-hmm. with the star power of Brie Larson and Samuel L. Jackson. So they kind of timed it with that release. Got it. Yeah. And then they released so it I on think... Netflix, where it lit the world on fire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're a star now, baby. Your film's on Netflix. <laughs> I exactly. The I, mark I wish... of quality. <laughs> I. You say that. <laughs> I also think... I mean, that's where all some... McG's movies are now. <laughs> yeah. I do think there's some implicit bias in that, because <laughs> we're talking about the director of This Is War here. I mean, obviously, every movie that McG comes out with is an event. <laughs> okay. Fair point. <laughs> but instead, I only see, like, one trailer on YouTube, and then that's it. So little fanfare. And maybe that has something to do with the relationships. Like, I don't see it coming soon on IMDb. That's because IMDb is owned by Amazon, who has a stake in another video streaming service that doesn't mm-hmm. even want to acknowledge what Netflix is doing. So fair point. Fair point. All right. Yeah. All right. All right. All right. All right. I mean, you're you're yeah. more in the biz than I am. Yes. You're in, yes. You're in I'm, LA after all. I'm in. Yes. Lovely I'm San in, Diego. I'm playing twelve-dimensional chess. I'm that. <laughs> I'm that gif of uh, <laughs> of all the equations and numbers floating around my head. <laughs> okay. Got it. Got it. <laughs> well, Greg. Speaking yes. of LA, you're in LA. I'm in San Diego. What can we What can we recommend that's adjacent to our current cities? Well, thankfully, we reserve time at the end of every episode for mm. just such a thing. We call it John and Greg recommends Hua. <laughs> spotlight. spotlight, 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 spotlight. It's time, Robbie. It's time. <laughs> Please do a sound drop. <laughs> yeah, scent of a woman in there. <laughs> I... <laughs> <laughs> you know I will. No, John, I clearly said hoo not hoo-rah. Oh. Hoo-rah. <laughs> is yeah. that what he's really saying, Greg? I haven't hoo-rah. seen such a woman Yeah, so that's long. the Marine thing. I, I'm about as far as from a Marine as you can imagine, so I do not say hoo <laughs> Okay, fair point. Yeah. There's no stolen valor, valor here, folks. Absolutely not. No, it's it's rightfully bought and earned. <laughs> <laughs> Donald Trump style, baby. Yes. <laughs> But I'm glad I'm glad you mentioned you did allude to the fact that I am in LA hmm. because this weekend I got a chance to go to the Hollywood Improv. Ooh. A club I've been at many times before, twice now. Is um, it vegan? Is it vegan? Is it vegan? I I'm sure they do have vegan options. Uh, okay. This is right in the in the heart of the city on Melrose. Um so I think it's the only reasonable dining option that you have in the area. <laughs> okay. Uh, but I, I just wanted to recommend just the Hollywood Improv experience. I've never had a bad time there. And uh, I wanted to recommend one 
comedian in particular. We saw a show hosted by Lauren Page. Um, she had a show called How to Hate Yourself. So obviously it's a lot of kind of self-lamenting comedians, clearly. <laughs> Self-deprecating comedians? Yeah, How know. does that work? <laughs> it's a fresh new approach in stand-up. <laughs> No, all the comedians were very good, but there's one in particular that I want to that I want to recommend. His name's Bucky Sinister. <laughs> what? <laughs> yes. <laughs> now, d- please don't be thrown off by that number. I'm googling <laughs> Bucky <Yes>. Sinister. <laughs> you won't find anything about his stand-up comedy. And also, just not to put you off, he looks like he could be in a militia on the border trying to save us from th- oh. the Mexican caravan. That's what he. That's uh, all appearances he looks like. I'm he getting real Joe Rogany vibes from this guy just looking it's, at his Google image search. <laughs> I know exactly. I uh, but I don't want to put you off, John, because he had he had the most energy and joie de vivre of any of the comedians on the show. Because okay. again, it's, the sh- the show was literally called How to Hate Yourself, so there was a bit like you know there was a lot of self deprecating going on, like looking at shoes. So, the the fact that this guy, a recovering meth addict, <laughs> recovered for over thirty years now, <laughs> okay, could could approach the stage with his chest out and a big bright smile, just obviously obviously was the the most life affirming <laughs> part of the whole show. And uh, he had a, just he only did ten minutes, but it was a, it was a great set about how he uh, celebrated his thirty year anniversary of sobriety by going to Reno, which is where his rehab first took place. Oh, okay. <laughs> so it's like a homecoming. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. That was the alibi. We're going to we're going to Circus Circus in Reno. <laughs> that was the alibi to actually get him to the rehab center. <laughs> okay, got it. <laughs> yes. So again, he had some, he had some great like little jokes. It it's funny, the self-deprecating humor, obviously every comedian had it and obviously it's in every comedian's repertoire. However, the fact that he could do it with such uh, with such um energy and vivacity as well as having this uh, just incredible backstory of of being a meth addict and having a whole new set of teeth and a whole new outlook on life um was also pretty extraordinary. Mm. Uh I I did look him up after the show. Unfortunately, all you will see are his books, um, <laughs> which are which have a little bit of, sli- of a slightly darker bend. Um, but I just want to recommend his stand-up because, again, I think he was the he was the brightest <laughs> Crick, light. Crick will not be what? responsible for his opinions on the books. Okay, he's like I am not yes. here to recommend books. Thank no, you very much. <laughs> again, like I said, he looks he looks like a militia member. I mean, he could have some. <laughs> He could have some thoughts that you know are parody are parroted from Fox News or something. I don't know. <laughs> Look, he just loves kettlebells. Okay, I'm looking at his yeah. Twitter page and he's just all about them kettlebells. Yeah, he was rocking. He was fit, even though I think he's in his fifties at this point. Okay. Well, so, I mean, yeah, yeah you mentioned uh, he's like 24 years sober. You said. Yeah, uh, 30. I think. He, okay. He he said in 1989 is when he went into rehab. So. No. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So he's got to be pushing 50. Good yep. for him. Good for him. Yeah. Again, great set of teeth. Mm-hmm. If he if he didn't tell you that they were fake, you wouldn't have known. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. If they're fake teeth, then yes, they're probably great, Craig. <laughs> yeah, I I should hope so. <laughs> um, but again, he was my he was my favorite comedian of the night at what is now becoming my favorite comedy venue, uh, of wow. which there are many in Los Angeles. But this is the one I recommend. Laugh Factory, Improv. step up your game, jeez. I <laughs> Laugh Factory. John, have you ever actually tried to get on Sunset? It's impossible. <laughs> All right, fair enough. I can't argue that. I've never, I've never tried. No. Next, I just time, want next to know, time we'll go. Next where time does he find the go. time to get up on stage, write these books, and then also battle the X Men from week to week? <laughs> That's good. That's good. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. 
<laughs> Look for me, ten, my ten minutes are coming up on the Chuckle Hut. So. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> John, you could be part of that show. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, it, they, they do have a, a building next door called The Lab. This is where they give comedians their first shot. So if you want to perform before a dozen people at 4.30 in the afternoon... <laughs> And I do hate myself quite a bit, so I think yeah. I, I can mine some good comedy out of that. Exactly. Speaking of hating myself, I'm okay. going to recommend, I, I'm going to do a patented John Mantel spotlight, which is, I'm going to recommend what I've been watching this week. And Perfect. Netflix put the third season on of a show that sadly got canceled this past week, or this past year, but I, I think now's the time to catch up on it. It's a little show called Colony. Colony. Mm. I, this sounds vaguely familiar. This is not the reality show about people trying to establish a colony. No, this is that had like a Truman Show vibe. It was like going twenty four seven. No, 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 no. This is a. This is a. I think that was like called Eden or something like that, or Utopia or something oh, okay. like that. That yeah, was a maybe. reality show. This is a drama show, Greg. Brought to us ah. by. Ryan Condal and uh, Carlton Cruz, who you may remember of Lost fame. Oh, Carlton, I know, everybody's favorite. <laughs> yes, and he imported one of everyone's favorite stars, Josh Holloway. Hey, that, that guy, Sawyer, right? <laughs> yes, he played Sawyer. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and Jamie Lannister on <laughs> Game of Thrones. That would be awesome. <laughs> yeah. Oh, if only we lived in a perfect world. No, yeah. instead we live in a world where Colony gets canceled after three seasons. Ugh. So... The TV show, which, you know, Captive State came out a few years ago. It's basically it ripped off of this. Um, Colony is a show about an alien invasion. So they, these aliens who are unseen throughout the series, they come down, they build walls around cities, Los Angeles in particular. Ooh, mm. how topical. Um, and they basically form these colonies, these kind of authoritarian regimes. And... What the aliens want is kind of slowly pieced out. Again, it's very Lostian. What are the mysteries? And ultimately, the villain turns out to be paranoia and your fear of your fellow man. Who can be trusted? Wait, are you saying that the world's greatest threat was man? It wasn't an (laughs) alien, but man itself? Well, so the conceit of the show turns out, or the drama is mined from the fact that who is on the alien side and who isn't. Because as soon as the walls come down, and as soon as this colony is created, there's some people who are kind of opportunistic and decide, "Uh, let's actually, I think it's better off if we work with the aliens. And so you have these kind of, uh, you know, half the people, half the characters are, you know, proud freedom fighters like Josh Holloway's character, William. He's a former cop, and here he finds himself on the wrong side of the law. And then you have my personal favorite character, Alan Snyder. (laughs) great Dickensian name, Snyder. Yeah, played by uh, Peter Jacobson, and he's kind of that classic, like, uh, what was the doctor's name in Lost in Space? Like, all right, you've betrayed our trust yeah. for the 96th time, but <laughs> I think I, I this... have a good feeling about number 97. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's that classic kind of TV, that classic TV character who's like, uh, you know, no, I'm totally on your side, guys. Don't worry about yeah. it. <laughs> you need me. <laughs> for now. Yeah, he was he was a higher up kind of uh, government official in the colony, clearly worked his way up by being a complete sycophant. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in his head, he thinks that, you know, he was doing it for the greater good. He thinks like, hey, look, I saved thousands of lives by ensuring that they actually worked with us. So come on, cut me some slack. <laughs> and, you know, at any slightest provocation, we'll sell out our heroes whenever he can. So 
it's a fun show. Obviously, I loved Lost, so I think that's probably why I was I get really invested in this one. I think is it co- serialized like Lost? Like, oh, absolutely. Are you kidding? Greg, come on. I, it's the 21st century. We're in peak TV. What do you think? <laughs> I don't know. I, some, I, I think the best series like Mad Men and Game of Thrones can still like you know make a compelling hour of TV <laughs> versus you know just having having you to wait until episode nine or ten for stuff to finally pay off. I mean, as long as the drama doesn't get too heightened, that becomes ridiculous. I mean, this, but mm. this is a sci-fi show. I mean, they're battling aliens for crying out loud. So yes, yeah. um, I think actually one of my least favorite conceits of the show is yes, they do keep the aliens hidden, and their only presence is felt through like robotic drones and things like that, uh, because a it makes the you know special effects look chintzy, but also yeah. again it's like. <sighs> It, it feels too much like it's going for the mystery box. Like, what is the nature of the aliens? <laughs> Up until the point, I thought by, like, the second season, it's like, oh, they're clearly humans, right? They're just, you know, far advanced or in the future, right? They have to look like us. Like, come on, because no one, no one would believe it if it were, like, alien greys, like, tiny little three-foot men, right? Come on, come on. This is ridiculous. Well, when you said they're, they have these suits, do you mean, like, the aliens in the greatest alien movie of all time, Independence Day? <laughs> you remember how they had the suits? <laughs> Yes, it's uh, you know classic Roswell alien inside of H.E. Geeger creations. So. Yes, <laughs> focus group to be the perfect specimen. Yes, and we'll put it and we'll make it gray and grayer and gray again. <laughs> That's what everyone loved about Independence Day was the production design. They're like, yeah, yeah these guys really nailed it. <laughs> Listen, they did. It was the time. It was the mid '90s. We didn't know what we were doing. <laughs> yeah, it was better than the Dayglow era of the '80s, I'd say. I mean, at least it wasn't Independence Day resurgence. Oh, boy. I don't know. I haven't seen it. (laughs) John, your thoughts? Uh, uh, Everyone got a paycheck. That's what's important. That's that's what matters. That's what matters. Except for Fox, because it flopped horribly. Oh, Um, no. (laughs) Quick, what's our next Avatar? What's our next Avatar? Uh, How about that schlocky B-movie we did in the 90s? That was inexplicably (laughs) a big hit. Yeah, so let's... Now that they're a subsidiary Disney, let's let's draw them in. Let's mm-hmm. have them run into the Guardians of the Galaxy and the Fantastic <laughs> Four, maybe. I don't know. Um. Would that even make a good Easter egg? I'm trying to imagine, like, the, like... No, because <laughs> people is... don't care. Yeah, like, people will be like, oh, that's, you know, Captain America's shield from the, uh, uh, issue four of, like, you know, the the Civil War saga or no, something. No, see, but that's care. the kind of shit people care about. I'm saying if exactly. they put, like... Nobody would care if, like, you slipped a, a, an Easter egg from an Independence Day alien. No, of course, because it would blend too much in the background. It would have no characteristics. <laughs> yes, it might be a headline. Yeah, that's true. It would also be a headline on the AV Club that nobody would click. Mm, that's true. I mean, heck, they just came out with a new Spider-Man uh, trailer, and someone spotted an Easter egg. It was a sign for a wrestling match, and it's literally behind Happy Hogan, behind like three chairs, and they spotted it, and they noticed that the names on it are the wrestlers that Spider-Man fought in the comics when he earned like his money before he became yeah. a hero. Like They noticed that the sign, like, who are these insane people? I don't know. I the same understand. eagle eyes who yeah notice a, a a Starbucks cup in Game of Thrones <laughs> in a, a drunken reverie on Game of Thrones, which I, I completely understand because again they're trying yes. to keep such a tight lid on spoilers. They probably had the least amount of eyes on that episode possible, so I completely exactly. understand. And it's a pity because that is like the easiest thing you can erase out with special effects. Like heck, I could erase that with Premiere if I wanted. I to. know I. 
I, that's what I was wondering. Like, do they even bother, or did they run out of money? Or thinking, <laughs> God, I hope nobody notices this. Yes, Greg, <laughs> I bet that's it. Game of Thrones ran out of money. They're like, oh no. man, <laughs> get the puppets out. It's, we gotta... possi- it's possible. John. We got to puppet possible. these. <laughs> we got to ADR these dragons. <laughs> I'm saying it's possible. I don't care how many eyeballs are on it. Listen, <laughs> most of the eyeballs watching Game of Thrones are not HBO subscribers. All right? How else are they going to get their dough? <laughs> this is also true. I just love that they all had a sense of humor about it. Did you read the uh, press release from HBO? No. They admitted What'd that they, say? they admitted that yes, the coffee cup on the desk or on the table was a mistake. She actually ordered an herbal tea and not a tea. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> that's the kind of uh, brand joke I I will support. Yes. <laughs> Everyone the, had a the, good laugh the, about f- it. the clever cease and desist letters from Netflix on the Stranger <laughs> Things pop-up bar I will not condone, but No. That and, one's fine. Hey, they dropped that suit, so it's fine. It's fine. Mm, Stranger okay. Things can continue continue apace. Yeah. Well, John, uh, speaking of things continuing apace, mm. and current events, we have not been kicked off Facebook. Um, we are <laughs> we are allowed to continue to spread our far-right views. Excellent. <laughs> Perfect. Because I have you, so many thoughts yes, about you, the gay aliens who are coming <laughs> after our children and our babies. <laughs> yeah. You can find them, facebook.com slash snobs, also on twitter.com. Aspiring snobs, mm-hmm. all one word. Yes, Greg runs our Twitter account, and he does just a bang up job. Thank you. Yes. I, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> fifteen followers can't be wrong, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Look, there's no bots in that group, though. You got to admit, no absolutely, bots. that's true. No that's bots. all genuine likes. That's all genuine yep. likes. Yes, <laughs> all three of them. Uh, <laughs> ouch, Greg! Come on. I know. Sorry, I'm being deprecating. I'm auditioning to be on How to Hate Yourself. <laughs> In the lab on Saturday nights at the Hollywood Improv. <laughs> Got it. But uh, yes, please give us a like on those pages. Also, we're on every podcast service that you can think of. Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Acast, Player FM. Actually, we've been kicked off of Acast. I don't know what happened. We got kicked off of Acast. I was checking oh, our did links. We? Okay. For some reason, we're not there anymore. So I'll need to, I'll need to fix that. I'll need to remedy that. But yes, Whoops. we're all okay. on the big ones. The big ones. Yes. The biggins. So, you know, now that we've given you a solid hour of entertainment, I think. Mm, I mean, I enjoyed it. Yeah. Why don't you do a favor for us? Go ahead, click that review button. Give us five stars. If it's four stars, forget it. We don't want it. Five stars is, is what we're asking for. <laughs> Say, hey, these guys are great. And then more people will find us, and we'll have a bigger community of Aspiring Snobs fans. And we can open up a dialogue about this. Yep, and it'll save me from the embarrassment of me being the first one to rate and review us, where I'm like, these guys are funny. <laughs> you didn't do that, did you? No, of course not. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think you even could. If I did, I it would make great material for my ten minutes on the I Hate yeah. Myself Hour. <laughs> That's true. I, it's even funnier because Amazon wouldn't allow you to review the book of a family member. So this is also true. <laughs> but yes, please rate and review us and help others find Aspiring Snobs, the podcast. Because every rate and review you leave help brings more attention towards us. It's a it's yep. a self fulfilling prophecy. It's a continuous loop. So please yep. help us help you. And we also watched the movie Boys in the Hood based on a, a, the tragic passing of John Singleton. Mm-hmm. However, we do take recommendations. So if you have one, go ahead, send it out in the social media world or email us at aspiringsnobs at gmail.com. Yes. Send us your questions, your comments. We'll accept them. We'll read them. We'll maybe read them on air uh, if they're nice. nice. 
Yeah, so we've been, we'll I'll read the bad nice. ones on air. I'll read the bad ones on air and then give out your email address so okay. that you can be harassed. <laughs> yeah, let's dox all the negative comments. Yeah, this is our safe space. Exactly. So fair warning there if you do have negative <laughs> comments. Uh, well, Greg, we've been watching a lot of classic movies recently. And I mm-hmm. feel like we're long overdue for a little R&R. What do you say? I, I'm way down for that. I've been spending too much money on YouTube rentals. Instead, I'm going to go to the theater. <laughs> yes, I need to. I need to start using up my AMC Stub memberships. So, yep. Let's all let's all head to the lobby this weekend. And I yeah. think I think there's a mystery afoot, Greg. What? Yes, because there's a mystery surrounding who wants to be the very best, like no one ever was. I know what you're talking about. What happened to Under the Silver Lake? Yes. Why was it released one week in theaters and then just dumped on VOD? Why is that, John? I don't know, Greg. It's a mystery, but I think we're going to solve it next week. Because we are okay. super sleuths and we're on the case. Indeed. We're like Andrew Garfield in Silver Lake, the hippest neighborhood in all of Los Angeles. <laughs> as soon as you said that, I pictured, like, there's got to be a comic where Garfield the cat was, like, in a deer stalker at one point, right? Oh, like, absolutely. Yeah, like, I just pictured, they just put that image in my head. And maybe that's why Under the Silver Lake was just passed off the idea. They're like, literally we thought we were every... buying a Garfield movie. <laughs> yeah, literally every cartoon character has been in his deer stalker cap. <laughs> I think that's how they sold the pilot to Wishbone, <laughs> is that he did it. A Sherlock Holmes story. <laughs> they clearly didn't sell it on their Frankenstein adaptation, I'll tell you that much. Oh, that episode was, ugh, jeez. <laughs> The weakest episode of Wishbone. Everyone knows it. Yes. Hot take. <laughs> Wishbone shouldn't adapt gothic novels. <laughs> no. Can you believe Arthur is still on? Yeah. I, I can, knowing that also SpongeBob SquarePants is still on. And yeah. Gosh, these, these shows just never end. That's true. I'm, I'm amazed because I think for some ch- children's TV shows, they were like, okay, we got 20. That's good. <laughs> kids... <laughs> We got enough to get. That's a good mer- enough library for the yeah, kids. Yeah. Get some merchandising deals. So yeah, yeah, that's enough. We can sell some toys now. Let's yeah, call it and a now game. and now, but kids have a, a voracious, un, un, <laughs> unappeasable appetite for content. So these movies, these TV shows, have to be on for about forty years now. Is it the kids or is it the parents who just like God, just shut them up for like ten minutes here, take your iPad and just leave They're me probably alone? Probably both. Yes, it's probably both. <laughs> Give me a moment so maybe I can slit my wrists in the bathroom. Bathroom. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, they are also competing against YouTube and the classic uh, Joker beheads Elsa from Frozen uh, <laughs> videos that get churned out every hour yes. on the hour. So Elsa impregnates Hulk with yeah. Spider-Man's jism or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, classic content. Classic content. Classic. Yep. Well, thank you everybody for listening. And until next time, what's the story, Wishbone? Wishbone. <laughs> Wishbone. What's the story, Wishbone?